Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, we'll learn about Carbon Sponge, an interdisciplinary collaboration in New York City that explores the potential for urban soils to sequester carbon as a means to reduce greenhouse gases and build healthy soil. Justin Duncan, Sustainable Agriculture Specialist at NCAT Southwestern Regional Office in San Antonio, Texas, interviews Kathari G, a plant and soil science researcher with Carbon Sponge. Kathari talks about how they're engineering their own soil and researching the use of cover crops in urban areas for carbon sequestration. Originally from South America, Kathari's background is in agroecosystem health, ethnobiology, regenerative food production, and social ecology. Before we get started, I want to mention that you will hear some background noise, but stick with it. The conversation is definitely worthwhile. Let's listen. Hey, how you doing? This is Justin Duncan with NCAT, and I'm here with... Katari. Katari, and what, what's your farm's name? Uh, we have a research program called Carbon Sponge. Okay, Carbon Sponge. And where is that at? Where is it located? That is located in New York City, Queens. Oh, okay. So that's like really in the city. Really in the city. Okay. So uh, how long have you all been farming out there? We are in there. This is a community-based farm which we are investigating how we can use cover crops for carbon sequestration in the urban areas. Oh, okay. So are you growing vegetables at all or just cover crops? We are, having, we are creating this layer of uh, cocktail of cover crops mixing with edibles. And we are trying to figure out what is happening to the microbiology in the soils and how the root system, the soil layering, and the plants itself behave in order to capture all this carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere of urban cities. Ah, that sounds very interesting. So when you say layering, ex- explain that process. So we start, first of all, with uh, the cover crop cocktail. Uh-huh. We use uh, grasses, uh, we use some beans, uh, legumes, uh-huh. and then we let those things to sprout for a couple of weeks, and then we follow with edibles. We add uh, edibles like uh, okra or gooseberries or any other edibles that we want to really think about what is happening in the urban area. So we create these layers in how we plant it. And then we create a series of, of tests to see how the soil is reacting to the different crops that we are adding to it. So when you say layers, are you referring to like the, uh, the canopies? The canopies. Oh, okay. The, okay. the upper canopy. Yes. All right, all right. That sounds pretty cool. So uh, what, are, what are some of the crops that have done best for you? Right and, now. And how would you define doing best? Would it be yield or, you know, some other? Some other? That's an amazing question. Uh, we look yield as uh, the development of the root systems. So uh-huh. we look the under layer, under soil, the roots. We look the color of the vegetation. Is it green? How green is it? Does it have spots? Does it create any pests? And then we look at the biomass of the entire plant. And then we determine how well is doing this plot compared to the rest of plants. We have a total of 24 plots, and we compare them because we have uh, planted 
similar crops in all the 24. So we can compare the yield, the weight, the root systems in all those crops and determine how this system is doing. That's nice. That's nice. What, uh, what kind of soil are you on and uh, have you seen any benefits so far um, to the soil from the cover crops that you're using? Well, we have we have started with a pure soil, using a clean bio, uh, soil bank. This is uh, glacier sediments from developing sites, about 20 feet deep underground soil that doesn't have any microbial life. Oh wow! So we have this clean slate soil that we mix mix it with uh, compost. So we inoculate it with compost. So we use a ratio of three buckets of sediments to one bucket of compost, and we mix it. So we create a medium to grow these this, uh, cover crabs and the edibles. So you're not using a lot. You're using, you know, these, these built-up beds that you're growing. Yeah, we, we are uh, engineering our own soil in the urban area. And the reason is that we find in many urban areas we have a lot of contamination, heavy metal contamination, that it doesn't allow urban farms to progress and to develop and to create more and more spaces. So what are we trying to do is we're trying to do two things in here. We're trying to find if these sediments, these new sediments, can be reused to grow crops, edibles, and how they can sustain life. And also we can use them to remediate many contaminated sites. And we look over time if they are recontaminated. So that way we are covering a, a range of questions that is very worrisome in the urban area. That's very exciting. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing, actually. Um, so, uh, which which cover crops specifically are you using? Yeah, we are using uh, Sudan grass. Okay. Uh, we are using cowpeas. All right. Veg. We are using mustard greens. Uh, we are using turnips. And then we are using uh, cowpeas, buckwheat, pigeon peas. Nice. I'm growing most of those down in South Texas. But uh, we usually plant like uh, you know pigeon peas in in, uh, in, in April or or even May. Uh, most of those other things about the same time. Uh, so when are you planting your your crops? My cr the crops that we started planting in um, mid May. We started planting them as soon as the weather started warming up a little bit. Mm -hmm. We sent the first layer of cover crops. So we we create that cocktail. Um, what we do is we do a research background of each crop and see how they will benefit the soil and how they will build the soil microbiome, how they interact from crop to crop. And we send this cocktail and we're trying to figure it out what is happening to the soil, to the microbiome, and let the microbiome tell us, is this cocktail working properly for this given system? If not, we can think about removing one or two crops and adding another one and keep this fail and trial situation where we can find the right cocktail for different scenarios. That's pretty amazing. So are there other people up there uh, in your area looking at cover crops? or? Yeah, we are right now, uh, when Carbon Sponge, we are trying to uh, extend our search more and more to create a manual of these cover crops that it can be applicable to urban areas, strictly to urban settings. Because what we find it is that we got this cocktail from other farms, large-scale, mid-scale farmers, 
and if you just take the, the numbers that they give us, or the ratios that they, they provide, it doesn't apply in urban area. The soil is different, the conditions are different, the microclimbing is different. So what we're doing is trying to develop a manual that we can share with the community farmers in the urban settings that they can continue applying, mostly in the off-season. How we, we really communicate these findings and the opportunity that there is to not only build your healthy soil, but also help the environment, the local environment is in there. See, that sounds kind of in alignment with what we're doing down in South Texas. Uh, we actually have a, a conservation innovation grant through uh, NRCS to look at um, cover crops in subtropical areas. So we came out with a, uh, a publication it's called uh, Cover Crop Options for Hot and Humid Areas, and it talks about these cover crops that are used uh, that are useful down in South Texas, in South Florida, Hawaii, um, or any anywhere tropical, subtropical. And it it lists out you know some of the cover crops that you you mentioned like the cowpeas and pigeon peas, um, and it also lists some some other things uh, that are are probably suitable for these you know hotter areas like that. But you're you're doing something similar for colder areas and urban areas, and and I just find that that so is so interesting. You know, something that I I often you know worry about is that um, you know people are not using cover crops enough. And so, what would you tell to a person who, who you know hasn't traditionally thought about using cover crops? I we found the, the initial thought in the urban areas uh, because everybody in the urban area only mulches in the off season or they put hay in the off season and that's it. They don't use cover crops. So what we have come out with is that how you make it socially beneficial these cover crops and also economically viable for, for using them. So last year what we did is we did two initiatives. One we investigated these cover crops, the background, where they are coming from, the ethnoscience of these cover crops. And then we find immigrant communities that end their culture back home, they use the cover crops as a food source. And then we invited them to create a recipe to make a meal and to offer to every person that came to visit the farm and to offer and explain, this is a cover crop, this is how it grows, this is what it do, and this is how you eat it. And you offer that, you create a, a symbiotic relationship with your food, with the soil, with the cover crop, and with the history of these cover crops. Let's not forget that what we call them cover crops right now. At some point, there were a food system in the ethnoculture of many of these immigrant communities that we are have completely oversight, completely and successfully undervalued, and let it just fly by. And I, as an ethnoscientist, what I do is try to reach to the, to the knowledge, tap to those cultures, and find out what they know and how we can apply that in, the, in this area where we live in. Now, in the relocation where we are, they need to find a niche of home. And that's how we find the people start getting interested in adding cover crops to their community gardens because now they say, oh, oh down in Israel, we use these uh, salad grains as a cover crop. We use uh, mustard grains. But they also know that when they see these mustard seeds, they can use the mustard seeds in many of these dishes. Now they start thinking about, like, wait, I have this way of season 
that nothing grows, but mustard greens grows, and can that could be my early harvest, early in the spring. So a lot of community gardens start thinking about that, thinking about their connection, how they used to farm before, and applying those knowledges when our guidance to use the heat in the urban area. And that's how we have enriched them. Not by forcing them and telling them, this is soil health, this is how you build soil, this is how you protect your plant, but rather, this is the knowledge that you have. This is something that you have done for centuries. Now, you can just apply it here. And we will be there to, to guide you through, to mm. talk to you what you can do. And beyond that, you can eat it. Yeah. You can definitely eat it. And it was, to me, it was the most successful community outreach I have done. That, that sounds absolutely beautiful. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the reasons I chose Pigeon Peas, because, you know, it, it, it grows well in South Texas. You can eat it. It's used medicinally. And it's just something we're, we're, not, we're not familiar with. But we should be. You know, I, lo I love your project. And how would a person get in contact with you um, to get more information? Yeah, you, you can get in contact at uh, carbonesponge.org or carbonesponge.com. And also, you can get in contact with my nonprofit where we do similar work and we help and we consult with small community based farms that they are trying to move into the regenerative agriculture. Not just organic, not just sustainable, but really tapping to what you already know, and what are your resources, how you can apply it, what are those benefits, and how you can make a profit of it. Right. Create those profit layers that motivate a lot of community farmers to continue doing the work and to maintain it. The major problem with urban farms, what we find is maintenance. Yes. There is a passion, there is a commitment, but they find that there is not enough grants to cover their initiatives. If they are have a market where to sell those crops and they are now competing with hundreds and hundreds of farmers, they have a chance to make it profitable. And we see this, these cultural relevant crops being a fighting chance, being a market that they can tap into. Uh, I can leave you with you my contact information, my, my email address that they can reach me if they want to find more about what we do. They can check out our website. Um, we would love to work with other community gardens across the states, try to do something that is not only for New York City, but it's something for the United States. Yeah. And once you reach the United States, you can tap what is happening in other countries, what is happening to the agriculture of other places, and how we can be a beacon in the change and the communication of what we're doing and the research and development of these techniques. All right, good deal, man. It was really great talking with you today, and uh, I wish you the best in all your projects. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. If you can, take a moment to leave a comment and subscribe. This really helps us get the word out about our great programs. Check out all of our sustainable agriculture resources at the ATRA website, www.atra.ncat.org. The links are in the notes that accompany this podcast. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.